I'm Adnan Mahmutovic, and uh, this is Love and His Discontents podcast. Today's guest uh, doesn't need any introduction in my field of studies, the uh, literary studies, but I just want to tell you how honored I am to welcome Professor Meek Bal. She's a Dutch cultural theorist and video artist. She's the author of 46 books, she tells me, which is a huge number. Uh, on uh, uh, topics such as you know biblical, classical antiquity, 17th century, modern art, contemporary literature, feminism, mental illness, and migratory culture. Now, in my field of uh, studies, uh, her work on narratology was indispensable. I mean, something all graduate students had to uh, engage with. But today we uh, will talk about her book, uh, Loving Yusuf. Uh, which is a um, uh, a book uh, that I I don't actually remember how I found it. Uh, it's uh, if it's if it was by accident or if it was uh, the uh, I, when I was looking for a material for a, a course that I was um, uh, putting together for my department. And uh, I, I want to tell this story just uh, briefly because uh, it's really important. I think. I was uh, uh, so I finished my PhD in 2010, and uh, I uh, got the green light from the department to create a new course, and I wanted to do a course called Love and Its Discontents. Uh, so this is the course that uh, has been running here for uh, some 13 years. My favorite course. I love it so much, and. Uh, uh, I wanted to uh, teach the story of Joseph, which was uh, one of my absolute favorite stories from the Bible and the Quran. And uh, and then I read uh, Loving Yusuf, uh, and it felt, it was, uh, if I can say, a page-turner, uh, which is a little bit unusual, I think, for, um, uh, for academic books. Uh, mm. I, I couldn't put it down. It was a little bit like that. It was almost like, um, uh, like you know, reading some you know, crime fiction or something really, really uh, so exciting. I just couldn't put it down. And one thing that I admired so much was uh, the way you put yourself into it. Uh, and I don't mean just... Uh, that you uh, that you said what this story meant for you and and you know, uh, and that it's some kind of a preface, but rather throughout the entire book, every segment of it contains so much of yourself. Whether you speak of the story, whether you analyze the story, or the conceptual apparatus, the methodology, there is always this uh, aura of you throughout it, and that was so amazing, so mesmerizing. I just loved it uh, so. Uh, so much so uh, it's not something that we academics uh, can uh, can do uh, often uh, I would say <laughs> thank you um, thank you uh, so uh, I was thinking like uh, that if we could start uh, with because uh, uh, in this book you obviously you want to analyze the uh, the story of uh, uh, of Joseph, uh, uh, but you also want to make other contributions. And uh, one of the things that uh, spoke to me personally so much, and this is why I want to start with the methodology, it's also important for our listeners to, to know how you approach the story. 
uh, was uh, uh, as someone uh, who is a European Muslim, you know, someone who has uh, you know survived ethnic cleansing and genocide, those kinds of things, a migrant, um, uh, and living in a time where we talk so much about fundamentalism. Uh, you, uh, one of the things that you do, and uh, you want to clearly distinguish between literalism and fundamentalism, and you say those are opposing forces. Uh, and I appreciated that so much. You know how, the way you, uh, and instinctively, I felt this is absolutely right. This is exactly how I, uh, I see the danger of fundamentalism. Maybe you could say something about that. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. That's a, a really good beginning. Uh, the, the difference between literalism... Literalism is taking the text or the image very seriously. And every word counts and where it stands, what in the syntagm, uh, all that is very important. But what it means is not so uh, fixed. And so fundamentalism would be fixing the meaning instead of uh, respecting the text. And I think respect for the text, in fact, requires that the meaning gets to float, that the meaning can be adapted to the situation, to the reader, where the reader comes from, etc. And that's, uh, f for me, in the story, the... the uh, I mean, we'll get to that, but for me, in the story, the importance was that in the biblical text, the bad woman situation is projected on the, uh, on the Egyptian culture, but in the Quran, that is where it is set. So that's a very different context, very different situation framing of the story, and that's how it's possible that... Uh, to the astonishment of many of my students, uh, the Quran version has this incredibly, I, I would almost say feminist uh, version in the story of the knives and the blood and the, uh, the woman's way of, uh, of making other people understand her pain. And I thought that was so incredible and such a discovery it's also why I call the book Loving Yusuf and not Yosef, because Yusuf is, is the way my Arab friends uh, pronounce it. And, um, and of course, my, my best Arab friend calls his first son Yusuf <laughs> after this book. <laughs> That's amazing. So uh, calling someone uh, by an academic book, that's, that's really amazing. I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. And this, this friend became a friend simply because he was my neighbor. And I saw him with his arm in a cast and I said, what happened to you? And I said, oh, long story. And I said, well, come in, have a drink. Well, I don't drink. <laughs> well, a glass of water and tell me your story. And then he told the story of exploitation in the building and uh, industry and how he had fallen in the middle of the night because he never slept. He was studying during the day and working during the night. So he never had enough time to sleep. And that's how he broke his, uh, his, his I think it was his hand. Uh, yeah, it was his hand. And uh, so 
we became best friends, and this is 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, that that is so lovely. I I, I just love that uh, that we had this uh, anecdote now because I I feel that uh, these kinds of uh, intimacies that arise from the, these kinds of encounters uh, across the any. You know, cultural, ideological borders are, are so beautiful. I've had those experiences myself, and uh, I, and I mean, re reading your book and someone reading my stories, for instance, in in let's say in America, and uh, connecting at, at such a deep kind of intimate level is um, is is a miracle. It's it's really something that uh, I feel is anti-fundamentalist. Yeah, it is, but it should not be a miracle. It should be normal, common. There is no reason why those boundaries exist. There's no reason. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. It is the the, the fact that, uh, uh, in a sense, this kind of narrow fundamentalist view tells us, you know, those borders should uh, matter so much. But when you see that they don't, that they're porous, that the, that the meaning flows between them and we connect uh, is exactly what uh, proves them wrong. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think so it's not, I wouldn't call it a miracle, I would say it's something that is unjustifiedly uh, exceptional. And it shouldn't be. It should be normal. That's right. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's what we sh uh, how we should uh, see it. Uh, I'm, uh, when uh, um, in a sense, like if we go straight to the uh, the, the concept of love, and in, see, this is connected to what you just said about the context, uh, how uh, uh, when we read, and in a sense, the fundamentalist reading is the imposition of an ideological position on a text, uh, which is then filtered through that uh, through that position, and then you distinguish between stylistic and narratological and ideological kinds of uh, uh, readings. Uh, and for me, this uh, I, I want us to kind of try and define love uh, or establish some kind of a ground for the, for the reading. And I was thinking of uh, the part in your book where you uh, talk about three different grounds. Uh, and uh, uh, the third ground you call sociocultural habit. And this is where you uh, say something which I've been uh, telling my students a lot about and, uh, and just generally thinking about this, this fact. You're right. If English uses the word love interchangeably for sexual passion, parental attachment, and polite but informal friendliness to strangers, this leads English speakers into interpretive directions that may be utterly strange, even dangerous or immoral, to speakers of languages where such notions are attached to different words. So in a sense, if we, uh, in English, we use the word love, uh, we can say, I love coffee and I love my mom and I love my wife or children, uh, I love God. I mean, that's a huge span of things that you just all put the one, uh, one concept, uh, which uh, uh, does create some, uh, some problems. Uh, in, in, uh, and especially when we read other uh, works from other cultures different times uh, when uh, uh, but the, the, that kind of interpretation doesn't operate uh, is not operative uh, so uh, with that in mind can we try and define uh, love 
That's a tough one. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure I want to, but I do agree with the, the critique of this sort of widely used word love. I even get messages from uh, Vimeo, from technology, and it says, love Vimeo. Come on, there's no love with Vimeo. That makes no sense. But it, it, for me, love should be something uh, that, that turns uh, the larger community, all the strangers that you see and that you don't know, into personal contact. And then you go towards love or not. It can become uh, a personal contact that doesn't work. If you don't like the person, in fact. But it can also be... It can also be something that is important in your, as an enrichment of your own uh, life. And this happened with that friend, that Arab friend, who became my, a very good friend simply because he had, been, had an accident. And then it turned out that he was my neighbor and he became a friend and I went to see his family, I went to his wedding, I was... So we became best friends, as we say. Now, a best friend, that comes close to love. Uh, not love in the sexual sense, and I think for me, for me that sexual sense of love is, is already an abusive use of it, because it doesn't mean anything, it's just sex. Call it what it is, it's sex. But uh, there are really interesting uh, cases where the word love has a, a, a strange uh, linguistic specificity. And this is the case in French, for example, where love is uh, masculine in the singular and plural in the feminine. Uh, feminine in the plural. Don't so you have un grand amour, moi comme femme, c'est un grand amour. Et le type avec qui j'ai ce, cette relation amoureuse, il a des amours clandestines dans toutes les villes. Et donc, c'est resté comme ça depuis, de, depuis le début de la, du développement de la langue. Masculine in the singular, feminine in the plural. Now, that says something about ideology in language. Nespa. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that is a really good instance to understand how such a word as love um, is, you know, you have to be sort of precise with it. I love someone. I, I'm not going to say I love you because I don't know you, but I love. Well, my children, I love my partner, I love a lot of people as, as friends. That can be a love, friendship can be a love. But uh, it's not the same as all those different meanings and uses. That, that is, that's bullshit. Indeed. Uh... Uh, I agree, especially, I, I didn't know that even AI can now send you these love letters. Uh, that's uh, that's new to me. I haven't had that experience, uh, love from YouTube yeah, or, yeah. or Twitter <laughs> yeah, or, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, <laughs> but I can see how that ideology works. Um, 
And this is important for uh, for us, like when we now want to kind of analyze the story of Joseph, that uh, I want us to distinguish between at least three different kinds of uh, love uh, or, and uh, how they kind of affect each other. Of course, the, the focus will be on um, uh, Joseph and uh, Potiphar's wife, but I want us to talk also about uh, uh, the parental love before Joseph go, comes to Egypt and also the uh, this kind of uh, vertical uh, relationship to God, uh, the, that kind of love to God or the, that, they, that they have, uh, uh, that he has and, uh, and his father has. Uh, so before we begin uh, with uh, that, uh, do, do you think you could give us the plot of the, of the story? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Joseph has been brought to Egypt, sold into Egypt, and there he becomes the steward of the house because he's so capable, he's so good in what he does, and honest, and, you know, everybody loves him. Then this woman who is allegedly the wife of Potiphar, we don't know what wife means in that context, by the way. We don't know how many wives were there or how, you know, but anyway... There is this woman called Potiphar's wife. And Thomas Mann is brave enough to give her a name. And he calls her Mut, M A N E T. And Mut in German means courage. <laughs> so that is already interesting for a German writer who is Jewish and had to flee from the Nazis to, to call this, give this character a name. Anyway, the woman is enamored, to use a verb, uh, uh, with, uh, of uh, Joseph. She's attracted by him. I think it's a, a sexual attraction. And she wants to sleep with him. And she doesn't manage it because he refuses. And he refuses for different reasons. There's always this why question. Why does he refuse? Well, Maybe he didn't like her. Maybe he didn't want to abuse his boss, yeah, the, the, the master of the house. Uh, and maybe he thought that it wouldn't be good in the eyes of God. That's not a concept that I know well, but he, he mentions it. And so he says no. And then the woman grabs his coat. And that coat is very significant in the story because before when Joseph was the favorite son of, uh, of his father, the father gave him a multicolored coat, a beautiful coat. And when the brothers are so jealous that they put him in a, in a pit and then sell him to the uh, Egyptians, uh, they take that coat, smear it with animal blood, and say to their father, he must have been eaten by... Uh, wild animals and the father is in mourning and you know because he loved him so much but the coat then comes back in the story when the mother uh, the mother sorry the, the Potiphar's wife grabs his coat as evidence that he tried to seduce her or to rape her and the, the one really nasty element in this in the biblical story is that she then called on the staff of the house and said, he, meaning Potiphar, wanted to, um, to mock me 
by mock us all by uh, appointing this stranger to to be the boss in the house. So there is not only the sexually abusive, the the abuse of her husband. There is also this class issue, and I think that is a very important issue. And that's what she said. He wanted to mock us all because we are the servants in the house. And first of all, she's not, but uh, the other people are. And that, but that's a very nasty way of setting up the staff against the master by a class issue. And I think that is also very, very significant and very often an issue in the hostility against uh, foreigners and specifically uh, uh, Islam uh, Muslims. Uh, that people say, oh, you know, they are they're just servants. We can abuse them. And I think in that sense, the story has this other relevance still. The story has the feminist uh, issue, but it also has this class issue that is still relevant in the whole situation of uh, you know, multi, uh, multicultural, multicultural societies. Yes, absolutely. I think that's why the story is still kind of resonant. Uh, it's so... Uh, there's so many things to even uh, identify with, uh, uh, even if we talk about that kind of level of reading with identification, uh, of course it goes much, much deeper, but uh, it, it really functions on multiple levels uh, mm -hmm. in that yeah. way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, as you said before, Joseph comes to, uh, to Egypt. Uh, we have a very interesting situation in the family. Uh, he is the beloved son of Jacob, uh, who uh, or Israel, so he is the the proto father. Uh, you know the uh, the people will be called after him, the people of Israel. Uh, so he is uh, that, and then uh, Joseph uh, is uh, he loves Joseph so much, as you say. We have the you mentioned the coat uh, that he gives in the coat, and then that becomes a symbol of. Uh, uh, later on, when he is blind, uh, uh, Joseph will send, I think, his shirt uh, so that uh, so that the father can, um, you know, smell him or, or recognize that he is alive or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so obviously, we have a strong, mm -hmm. loving relationship of filial love, uh, the, the the parental love, uh, uh, the, uh, what Plato would call the filial love uh, between parents and children. Uh, yes. Uh, and uh, how yes. important do you think uh, it is that uh, that the story establishes that that love uh, for the for the later story, for instance? Yeah. Well, the 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 position of Joseph with his father is also a way of announcing the uh, you know the development of the, of the people in different tribes and different, uh, so that is important. And the, the parental filial love is, uh, is also a narrative device to establish the possibility of what the brothers do. They're jealous because they don't have that love. They do mischief, they do crime, and they, they try to uh, put him in the pit, and then they even want to kill him, but then there's one who says, don't kill him, let's sell him, that gives us some money, 
Capitalism is never far away. And uh, he is also, um, you know, uh, becomes, he doesn't become the father of the people. That's, that remains uh, uh, Jacob Israel. He, become, he is the father of the different uh, people. Joseph is an exceptional character because he is sent away. He's, he's sold away and he goes to a different culture, which could also be seen as a very nice crossing of borders. Uh, because well, even if the woman is trying to ridicule her husband by saying he brought us this Hebrew guy, like trying to establish anti-Semitism, uh, the, the, the fact that it is set in Egypt and that the bad woman is of the foreign culture for the Hebrews is a very important issue. And it makes it difficult to maintain that there is only one Jewish people. This, this idea that uh, Jacob is the father of all the tribes is a little problematic in view of that version that story. And that has not been seen. Even this great scholar that I cite all the time, Kugel, he has not seen how this story is also ethnically, ideologically, uh, you know, uh, class-wise, a very problematic story in the Hebrew version. And then in the Quran version, it's very different. And for me, that was, of course, I read the story of Joseph first, then I read the big novel of Thomas Mann, and I thought, where did he get that? The story of the knives and the blood, and uh, it's just in the Quran, just there. Clearly, explicitly, it's in the Quran. So, what does that say about the different cultures where the story functions? And I thought that was a very interesting find. I was so thrilled when I discovered that Thomas Mann has taken in the time that the Jews were persecuted by the Nazis. That's the time that he did this. To give an argument for ethnic openness. And the Jews have the right to be different and so do the Muslims. And I think that's really important. That, that keeps the story Actual. Uh, absolutely. And th that was exactly what I was reacting to as well. You know, reading it, as I said, in the context of Europe and, uh, and uh, the war in the Balkans, uh, uh, and, uh, and the connection between us and uh, the Jews in World War Two is constantly established. And uh, we, uh, the, the way we speak about the atrocities and how we and the connections between peoples and so on. So I think that's uh, that was so beautiful that he did this, especially in that time, as you say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, the, there is that that sense of you know the, the travel and um, and the porosity of borders and the, the fact that uh, you know you become your best self in a completely different place from. Uh, 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 the conditions that are all against you. Uh, that, that is in part also what he's thinking about, that, that Joseph really is uh, sinking so low and then rises up so high uh, 
and that, that those contrasts are what make him uh, what, what he is. What's interesting in all that is uh, the fact that, uh, and, and this is why I uh, like your uh, title so much, because you don't say it's not the love of Joseph or love of Yusuf, it's loving. So love here is a verb, it's, it's an action, it's something you do, and it gives you a sense of time, a long stretch of time. It's a continuum. Uh, Exactly. rather than just like this exactly. something set right yeah uh, right so love is we use love as a noun but it is it's a verb, it's a verb. I, I would agree with that yes i think the the action itself in all right. these uh, scenes in all in the thai story you have to work for it somehow you have to kind of fight for it you have to make sure that you are loving rather than in love with uh, uh, it's not a state right. it's uh, no yeah uh, i don't want to say it's a job but uh, but you know what i mean it's, it's an effort it's something to uh, do yeah it's something yeah. to do yeah. yes it is something yeah. to do and yeah. uh, it is, this is why i think there's an interesting contrast in the story that the fact that uh, wherever joseph goes people fall in love with him uh, from the father, of course, his brothers hated him. But, uh, but the question is, if they really hated him, or if it was just that the that the uh, jealousy because the father loved him so much trumped their love for Joseph. Uh, right. But uh, uh, from right. the father, you know, when he comes to Egypt and uh, uh, Potiphar loves him so much, uh, and he, uh, you also speak about the way they they say, oh, uh, he's maybe we, we want to adopt him. I mean, they, they love him so much. He's just a servant, as you say. Uh, he's a slave. He's sold to them. Uh, so they own him. But the, the, this instinct that they want to adopt him shows some kind of a love that they feel for him. Uh, yes. And, and, uh, yeah. uh, so, so wherever he goes, it's really interesting that he uh, is uh, abused, but at the same time loved. Yes, uh, and the, the one because of the other. She abuses him because she loves him, and he doesn't love her back. And I don't know if he, if, if he found her repulsive, he found her imposing. He just didn't want to go and do something bad, and that would be bad to, to, to sleep with her, to have sex with her. So it's not about love, but about sex. And the uh, the woman, I think, is, is more really in love with him, loves him, but it's also very sexual, very much about her attraction to him. I just made a film in which I used the, the story in the Rembrandt uh, etching uh, in the beginning of the film. And, and the woman... Uh, grabs the coat, his jacket, and, and uh, he runs away, and that's the beginning of his pedigree uh, uh, through Europe as, as a foreigner. So this is, this is my uh, contemporary version of the Joseph story in, uh, uh, in uh, depicting foreigners, refugees, and showing that we don't look at them. This is this is the visual thing. I'm I'm not answering your question here, but uh, they uh, 
he, he gets lost. There is, so I have a refugee, someone playing a refugee, and he is sort of lost, lonely in the crowd because in the city there are lots of people, but nobody looks at him. And so the whole film, it's a short film, but the whole film, you see the guy trying to make contact and nobody looks at him. And this is the situation that needs to change. There's sort of ignoring, ignoring uh, foreigners and taking them to be non-existent, which makes them emotionally non-existing. And that is a very cruel, it's a very cruel way of dealing with people who in fact enrich our culture. That's, I've, I've made that argument in another film project that the foreigners enrich our culture. They make it much more interesting, much more challenging, much more you know, colorful, as we say. And that is not appreciated. They consider it dirty <laughs> instead of colorful and nice. <laughs> Instead of the colorful comedy, it's. Uh, 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 I, I agree with you because the, the story of Joseph it seems to be like this proto story of the foreigner that is valuable, that is lovable, uh, and uh, right. uh, th that's right. why it's kind of popular. Like it, it, it establishes this like thousands of years ago. Like uh, this is how you treat foreigners, and uh, and it will be good for you. Uh, yeah. Uh, whereas it's, uh, it's an uh, the, the part. Indeed, and in, in Joseph's case, it's literal enrichment because he boosts the economy of uh, of Egypt. So that it, uh, is that, that yeah. yes, but he's, as you say, yes. treated he's a slave and he's treated as a foreigner. There is the, a little bit of a racist slur, anti-Semitism there, um, obviously, and uh, um, uh, well, so, so you say you know it goes hand in hand. This kind of love of him, he's lovable, and yet. Yeah, you know they abuse him exactly because uh, of that because he won't return that uh, love somehow. It, it, when it comes to the context and the fact that uh, that we uh, what we mean by love, uh, uh, two things that I uh, admired in your uh, analysis was the fact that you insist on the fact that the wife, the woman, loves Joseph rather than. Uh, as I, when I speak to my students, they say, well, it's just uh, sexual. Uh, and I love that you insist on that she is suffering and she is punished for loving him. Uh, mm -hmm. So the sexual attraction yeah. is there mm -hmm. and it's clearly distinguished from that. But you insist that, no, uh, she also loves him genuinely. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that's a very deep reading uh, that mm -hmm. is there in the story, but people miss because they uh, because yeah. they focus on that kind of surface of you know the sexual desire versus a virtuous man. Yeah. So it's all about this is the, the thing. It's all sort of almost Christian values. You know, sex is bad. And so he resists that because he wants to be a good guy. And that's true, he wants to be a good guy. He doesn't want to abuse his, his boss, and uh, he even thinks of God. But he is simply uh, a good guy. But that doesn't make her a bad woman. 
And I think that this whole story is meant to make us all think that women are bad and dangerous. And this is the way, and this in the in the Hebrew version especially. And that's why I was so taken by the Quranic version with that end story where it is not about her being bad, it's about her conveying to her friends what love means, that she is loving him and they all are so taken by his beauty that they cut themselves and it's like a metaphor also of uh, defloration, it's uh, all sorts of ways it has meaning, but it is a very powerful, powerful way of staging sympathy, suffering with their friend. And that makes her not a bad woman, but on the contrary, it makes her, you know, someone that you want to suffer with, that you have compassion for. And that is an, a value that is much more important than being, uh, you know, resisting sex because sex is bad, which is what the story is supposed to mean in a sort of Christian uh, context and probably Hebrew, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, as uh, as you show, uh, uh, it it's almost it, it's quite weird that there is a scene uh, where uh, she uh, calls her friends, uh, ladies from the town, uh, to yeah. to actually see her because yeah. there is gossip about the, about that. Yes. Uh, and the right. uh, the interesting thing right. about the gossip is, of course, that. Um, uh, it's not about uh, sex at all, uh, because she, as a mistress, uh, as, as you know, the master, uh, has a right to his body. Uh, I mean, that's I mean, in in any slave culture, you know, you have uh, or a, a culture that has slaves. Uh, the masters have right to uh, everything that slaves mm -hmm. offer. Mm -hmm. So, so in in that way, uh, there we, we can see a difference in the relationship to the or how they understand sexuality. Uh, that it's not really the sex that's the issue, uh, rather the fact that he refused her. And uh, as they say, the Hebrew boy <laughs> refused her. So it's again this. So the slave boy refused his master. So that's the shame uh, yeah. uh, that yeah. the, that she's exposed yeah. to. Not yeah. that she uh, even if the husband doesn't uh, react so much to her wanting to have sex yeah. with uh, yeah. the boy. I mean, this again another another weird thing that we would say. Okay, well. Why isn't he even jealous? You know, maybe she's had lots of lovers. Uh, maybe it's just a part no. of the culture. No. Uh, and uh, and is the fact that he refused her uh, that is a problem. And then she wants to justify loving him or being yeah. attracted to him, uh, yeah, to, yeah. to them, to, to show that, okay, yeah. this is why. Yeah. So she, she exposes her friends, the women in the town, to that attraction, and, and you know, so that they understand what she's going through, and that the being refused in your loving is uh, creates suffering, produces suffering, and so they all suffer, literally, because they're in pain. It's like oranges in blood that's going to hurt very badly. The acid of oranges. In, in their open wounds is going to hurt very badly. And that is 
the suffering with her. And they all, they accept it. They don't blame her. They just say, well, hey, what, what do you want? This guy is too beautiful. So she, she, they don't blame her for that accident at all. And I love that how is, she stages it. It's is, just so 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 clever uh, the yeah. way she does it. Really, you're, yeah. you're, it's yeah. not I'm explaining yeah. something to you. I'm showing it, and that, that's something yeah. you you say about the story. Yeah. It's showing things yeah. rather than telling you yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's an, it's amazing how 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 smart she was. Much smarter than in the Hebrew version with this silly code thing. Is uh, she, here? She is really explaining to the people who gossip about her. Don't gossip because you would do the same thing, and that's what happens. In fact, because then the end, the women don't—they don't blame her, but they don't blame Joseph either. Said, of course, this guy is too beautiful, and so it's sort of natural. That they that they hurt themselves, they don't complain. They just want to have uh, uh, to to vindicate her her attraction to him, her love, her loving. And this is, I think, uh, where you where you make such a huge contribution by pointing out that uh, uh, the, the insertion of this scene, which in a sense. Uh, if, if, if the theological point has already been made, then there is no reason to have a scene where she's vindicated at all. There is no reason to, to have something like that. Uh, and yet it is there, which it is there. Yes. creates a shift. And for me, for me, that's an important thing. Yeah, it's, a, it's an important point about the Quran. Because of course there are very bad stories in the Quran, as there are in the Hebrew Bible. But... This is, a, this is a feminist episode. We would call it today a feminist episode. The women go with her, understand her, sympathize, literally, and that, is, uh, that would be a feminist issue. And you're right that Joseph is, has the reputation of being the first migrant or the first refugee. I was at a conference on Joseph uh, last year, and that was the, the statement was, he was the first migrant, the first refugee. I wouldn't say the first migrant, because people were all migrating at the time, but the first who had to escape, and he, as, he was sold as a slave, and escaped through being good. That was his saving grace. And I think that is... So I, I have to say that with everything that the Christians and Jews think about the Islam and, and the Quran, they should read this story. And then they would understand a little better that not everything is sexist. Mm -hmm. That's right. And... Uh, and for me, it's, uh, I, I wonder uh, if you uh, can say something about this, uh, the fact that, um, uh, as you said, it's not so clear why Joseph refuses, uh, uh, as, as Thomas Mann mm. named her, Mut. <laughs> uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she has many names in different mm-hmm. uh, in different uh, cultures, uh, and I like that you chose that one. I think for your book, um, the the interesting thing here is that he comes to Egypt, which is an entirely different culture. This is why I mentioned the this uh, sexual politics in in Egypt, which is clear in that scene uh, that they have a. a completely different notion of what is okay, what's not okay, what they blame each other for. Uh, so he, maybe he refuses her because he doesn't want to uh, hurt his, uh, uh, well, the new father, Potiphar, uh, the, the, the man who wanted to adopt him, uh, the love of him, uh, or or her as well as, in a sense, uh, well, his, uh, his ma- master, his mistress. Uh, uh, and then there is, of course, the the, uh, the religious bit that he doesn't want to sin against God, uh, mm-hmm. which means that, in a sense, that he mm-hmm. brings his religion uh, to a place where it doesn't apply at all. Uh, so, so his ethical code, his moral code, is completely different. Uh, let's say in relationship to to sex, uh, or it could mm-hmm. be anything else, and he mm-hmm. sticks to that. Cool. He, he, he really is firm in that belief, which means that he's one single isolated migrant where he's the only one who has that faith and believes that something is, for instance, sin, uh, whereas no yeah. one else does it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that in itself has uh, you know, that migrant element, you know, a migrant uh, having a different faith in another place, you know, adapting or not adapting. He's really not adapting, in a sense, yeah. uh, when it comes yeah. to, to, to uh, yeah. his ethos, yeah. right? No, he has, he brings his own values with him. And that is also important in, in view of how we think about migrants. You know, they have ideas, they have conceptions of what is good and what is bad, the values, and all you can do is respect that because if you don't you are enslaving people if you take the people their if you take people's values away you are in fact enslaving them and that is not what this story is, is uh, no uh, advocating they so it is it is a bit mysterious why he refuses her you can speculate Maybe she was much older than he, maybe she wasn't so attractive, but maybe simply because you don't sleep with the, the wife of your boss, and then it's a sin against God. So in what way would it be a sin against God? Well, that's up to him. <laughs> that's really up to him to decide that, and he does. That's right. And he does. What he's uh, learned, obviously. Uh, uh, it, uh, w- do you think that there is, uh, like, a, uh, in his mind, a hierarchy of loves? That even if he l- loves uh, the woman, uh, even if he loves uh, Potiphar, uh, and he loves God, that he has a sense that, well, one love trumps another, one love stands about another. So I first need to honor God, and then maybe Potiphar, and then the wife, and then then my love for her, uh, or do you think that uh, the fact that he uh, conceives of different kinds of love and that, they, that there is a hierarchy to them, uh, 
uh, in his mind? What, uh, what structures it all? Yeah, that is not so clear to me. Because uh, I, I think he considers it a sin for God. But he first says, My, your husband gave me the power in this house. And it would be an abuse of that power if I did this. So this is a very logical sort of social issue. And then in the biblical story, it's the love of the father that remains. And in Thomas Mann novel also, the father starts to haunt him and, you know, it comes back. Have you read the novel, the Thomas Mann? It's, it's an incredible, oh, it's, it's an incredible novel, especially if you think of the time when he wrote it. And uh, I think that he is claiming, and he actually wrote that he was... Uh, uh, vindicating the woman and I think that vindication was a way of vindicating all the Jews who were suffering from the Nazis at that time and the Jews have the right to have different values, Joseph has different values and that is uh, the most personal property that a person can have to have values and everyone does even the most bad criminals have their own values, you know, like money or whatever. Um, values, having values is, is a human right. And so he's claiming his human status. Even if the women say that's not a human being, he's too beautiful for that, but he, he claims his own uh, human, <laughs> human nature. And the nature of his as a human is to have values and the values include, I don't know if it's a love of God or a respect for God's interdictions or if it's uh, you know, the, the power of his boss, his owner, who has been so kind to him and all that. Uh, those are his values. And so it's nothing to do, there is never a word about that he doesn't like the look of this woman. That could be, could be a reason, but that's never said. There's no pronouncement of her age. There's no pronouncement of her beauty or not beauty. That's not mentioned. Indeed, it's not a part of the story. Uh, it's not the, the beautiful seductress or the nasty seductress. Those kinds of details are excluded, whereas some details are included. I, I just uh, find the, the thing what you said about uh, Thomas Mann uh, so fascinating uh, that, that the way he read the story to say something about uh, the Jews in that time, uh, it, it, it resonates so much where you find the source for your, your inspiration and your values and uh, to actually uh, stay strong. Um, uh, because she is all too human in a sense. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, whereas uh, for Joseph, mm -hmm. this is something that I think is is really interesting. Uh, this contrast between well, him as just another guy uh, and uh, an, an angel. Uh, so the question is, why is he so, for instance, so attractive and so lovable? Why are people attracted to him? 
uh, they, uh, in the Quranic stories, the women say that he, uh, well, in the Bible as well, he is the most beautiful man uh, like ever. Uh, so that's kind of very visual. Uh, but when the women in the Quran say that he is like an angel, uh, there is a, an additional kind of element to it. It's not just the looks, it's the spiritual aura of his or something like that. Uh, so for me, I'm, I'm almost thinking that uh, he doesn't even need to be beautiful uh, to be attractive, uh, to be perceived as, <laughs> you see what I mean? It, it, uh, I always ask my students, well, what does he look like? Is he like Brad Pitt or what, you know, how would you imagine <laughs> oh, no. him visually? I mean, how oh, beautiful no. can you actually be so that people would cut their hands, you know? Uh, right. But is it really about that kind right. of a beauty or is it something else? What is so attractive about him? Yeah. You want me to answer that? I have no idea. I never met him. <laughs> My thoughts, of course, is that he... The fact that he was his father's favorite son, which isn't explained, he was one of the later ones, but not the very last one. Uh, he uh, the, that that preference of his father is is never explained. But um, once that's put down narratively, the jealousy of the brothers start to, to cook. You know, they, they, it boils over. They are so jealous that they want to kill him. And there's only one who says, "No, let's not do that." But the uh, the, the jealousy. Uh, is, is the kind of jealousy that in a love relationship, if your partner has a lot of lovers, you could have that jealousy, but that's not exactly the same kind of jealousy. It is the fact that one of them gets the preference, and that preference is the, the source of the jealousy, not the fact that, you know, that she has lovers or whatever. The fact that he is the preferred one and that probably makes him beautiful makes him attractive that he is uh you know he's 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 put down as attractive by his father he's fixed as attractive doesn't matter whether he's beautiful or not although everybody says it <laughs> they say that he's beautiful they don't say anything about her looks. They only talk about his beauty. And that beauty could be spiritual beauty or it could be anything, like a nice smile. <laughs> yeah, you, ha you have people who have a very attractive, yeah, attractive way of looking at other people. And that is a kind of beauty. Whether they are... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I yeah. once a student of mine uh, proposed a theory here exactly because uh, the, the the excess of this beauty is so great that uh, you just can't imagine it and you can't visualize it. Really, it's beyond no. visualization. Um, no. That that's a, that's a thing. 
uh, and uh, he proposed that, uh, exactly as you say, because he was chosen by his father, he was singled out as special, that, uh, that you know, more lovable than others, uh, uh, but also uh, that he is chosen by God. Uh, so the, the very fact that he is the chosen one for this, to be the protagonist of this story, uh, is also what affects them, that it kind of shines through him that, uh, that he is chosen by God. And uh, this is why, uh, this is how uh, a student of mine explained it, this is why they see him as an angel. It's, not, it's really the love of God that kind of seeps through him. He could be mm -hmm. even ugly, uh, you know, visually speaking, uh, or, yeah, yeah. or just yeah, kind yeah. of a regular guy like anyone else. But it's that kind of, uh, um, uh, at least in his uh, world view, the, the love of God being uh, the chosen one for this that uh, that makes him uh, so attractive. Yeah, true. So the father loves him, then God loves him, and the woman loves him. And it's only the woman's love that he has to reject. He could have he could have rejected his father. He could have he could have said, "You should love my brothers as much as you love me." He could have done that, didn't? That's true. There is, uh, you know, what, what I do this with my students, I ask them to dramatize the story, so to act, mm -hmm. you know, so to take different mm -hmm. characters and act. And when they do that, uh, it, what comes across is, uh, is this a really interesting uh, way the, the stories, the multiple stories uh, create characterization. Uh, so it becomes almost like a modern soap opera. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, characters can become a little bit of um, caricatures and uh, and a little bit silly. And Joseph, uh, sometimes uh, students interpret him as a little bit uh, conceited, a little bit kind of full of himself, I'm the chosen one, and so on. So he's, not, as you say, he's not rejecting the father and saying, love my brothers as well. He's a little bit kind of naive about his about his beauty, about his attractiveness. Like, I don't know, people love me, I don't know why. So, it's, so, uh, so that's something that, the, that uh, they react to, I think. No, when I uh, am casting for a film, I'm looking for actors. The last film I made, I lost the actor I had in mind, and so I had to go hunting for one. And I just saw someone. And, you know, I got an opportunity uh, to talk with him. And I said, could you sit down and can we talk? Have you ever been for a camera? No, never. Uh, would you like to? Oh, yeah, interesting. And, uh, but the reason I liked this guy so much was because he had this incredibly open, smiley face. And I said, but you have a problem here because you're supposed to be a lonely migrant. And so you cannot be so cheerful. Are you able to look sad? And I said, well, I can try. <laughs> and he actually does a great job. <laughs> he does a great job and he's, he's just the ideal figure for the role. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's, that's so lovely. I, I, the, 
this uh, touches me so deep because uh, when I wrote my stories about refugees, uh, I realized that uh, they were also very humor humorous. Uh, so uh, I thought I was writing sad stories about sad refugees, but it turned out I was writing you know, uh, sad stories about funny refugees and funny stories about sad refugees. Yeah, right. Uh, so they're no, all like uh, resisting yeah. that kind no, of person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this, the thing about making art, writing stories or making films, is resisting the stereotypical, resisting all the stereotypes. Everything people say about foreigners, about refugees, about, you know, give another image, make it different. Indeed, and the, the, uh, the fact that uh, uh, how do we resist uh, uh, stereotypes? And I think that the answer that you give in your book is by giving multiple versions of the same story. Or because uh, here, what you do is you you take on you know, the the Hebrew version of um, uh, of the Joseph story, the Quranic one, Thomas Mann. Rembrandt, you take all these different interpretations and put them together and say they each has to give something else. You know, so each has a core that is valuable to look at. Uh, yeah. And this kind of multiplicity, of, it's not like we need to establish which story is the absolute you know, authoritative version. Rather, no. all these stories contribute no. to the truth of uh, of this great narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. The the other attitude would be fundamentalist. And what and what we do is constantly picking up a new version, a different version, and then looking at literally at the science. What does it do? What does it say? And that makes it so uh, uh, creative. That makes it creative. Yes, and this is in a sense uh, exactly what uh, is meant by uh, by loving Yusuf is love be, taking uh, words, taking stories seriously, and not as uh, ideological tools or, or vehicles for uh, ideological no. uh, agendas. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. No, the ideological, taking it as ideological uh, in directions is abusive of the text, of the art. It's an abuse of art. Art is not meant to be the preacher on, on the Sunday uh, telling us how to behave. Art is meant to make us think. Not about what specifically, but in general. Think, think harder, and then you can maybe change your mind about your stereotype. I think uh, art is the best tool against stereotypes if we resist the tendency to see it as a repetition of what we already know, which is what you know often happens in art classes. That is so beautifully put. Uh, 
Nick, uh, this was really wonderful. I, I loved so much talking to you. I know I've, I've used the word love so, so much in, in, uh, so far. Uh, I just can't express my gratitude uh, in, uh, in any other way. Uh, this has been a, a dream. I've been uh, wanting to talk to you about uh, this book and, and generally for, for such a long time. I mean, uh, uh, especially the fact that I've been running this course for 13 years uh, with my students and now I wanted to also transfer it into some kind of a, you know, a podcast for a broader audience and uh, expose people to what I do uh, in class and to, pe to the great thinkers uh, that, uh, that have shaped me. Uh, so uh, thank you so much for uh, today and uh, uh, bless you. Well, thank you for your uh, hospitality, and I enjoyed the conversation.